Welcome to all you folks out there in cast country. You're listening to the Kitchen Sink Podcast. It's the show about everything and nothing. I'm your host, Memphis T-Bone Dotson, and I'm the illegitimate son of a Louisiana voodoo woman named Miss Cleo, but my friends usually call me Just Chad. My guest today is Mrs. Jill Harris. She is a working mom. She is a wife. And she is also the singing half of the Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. (laughs) And I'm grateful that she's here tonight. Jill, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. We have a controversial subject to discuss with our people tonight. And, and it, I don't know, it might, we could change the world tonight here for all we know, Jill. What we're going to be talking about tonight is we're going to be talking about the Wizard of Oz, but we're going to be talking about it in a context that Jill and I thought we were alone in, yes, right? So, absolutely. So our basic, um, uh, our basic thing is that for years, and Jill's been doing the same thing, we have felt like Hollywood oh. needs to take the bull by the horns and make a faithful-to-the-book adaptation of... The Wizard of Oz. Now, when I said this, when I was a guest on the Cheaper Than Therapy podcast, uh, Jill literally exploded. Her arms flew off. Yes. It was crazy. I think we even had to tone me down when <laughs> when editing, honestly. It was so funny. <laughs> Everybody kind of like stepped back like, what is happening? It, it it blew my socks off that you you said that because it's something I have felt well, I, it's been years. When I read the book, I was like, why? I understand why they jazzed up the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, for sure. But I'm like, why has nobody grabbed a hold of this? I this know. is major money. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, you know, I, as a general uh, topic of conversation, I thought real quick, are you much of a reader? I'm not. See, I'm not really either, but but you know how some people get really yes. up in arms about changes. You right. Know? I remember the first book I ever fell in love with was a book called An Interview with a Vampire. It's an old, it's an old book. And uh, they made a movie out of it. Brad Pitt and Tom yes. Cruise was in it. And, 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 and that was the first time I was ever tested because that was like the first book I ever really loved. And, and I found that I just didn't care. Like, I went to the movie, and I'm like, it's a whole different artistic expression and experience. And, yes. And, uh, and, and definitely, like you said, the, the story is, in, in many ways, is much more fantastical, if that's even a word, than the movie. I it, totally it, yeah. agree. Um, so I'm curious, uh, how did you, like, is the, is the Wizard of Oz something you've been obsessed with since you were a child, or did you come to it later? No, since I was a, a very small. I... I'm going to say before school, before school age. Um, and it, I, and I know people say this all the time, but it literally happened. I ran the, the VCR tape down, I don't know how many times, <laughs> to where we had to re-tape um, it on, on the TV. And I don't know, my grandparents would probably know a better how many times we had to re-tape it. I would probably say four times, three, four times, because I just, I wore it out. And it was nothing for me to watch it two times a day. Um, I know it was before school age, because when else would I have had time to watch it? So 
my family hates watching it with me because they never, they don't even know what Dorothy sounds like. <laughs> You're a quoter, huh? I am. I am. Nobody wants to watch it with me. So, but I don't know if you know this or even remember this, but I think it was probably two years ago, um, Athena Grand showed it on oh, the yeah. big screen. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't catch it, but yeah. Oh, buddy. I would have stopped everything. I did. I went and saw it. And um, I cried in it. Yeah, just at the very beginning when the when the MGM came on and the and the lion roared, I was like cold chills. I know people were like, "Whatever, that's so weird." It's not when you're a kid and you think. I mean, it just took me back. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I never dreamed that that's something I would ever get to see on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, years after the Lion King came out in theaters, because that came out when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And later on, when my wife and I were just engaged, I found out that they were screening The Lion King on an IMAX in Columbus, like on the north side uh-huh. of Columbus. And we went, and and it, I kind of had a similar experience yeah. to, to that because we went up, and you know, Circle of Life comes on, and they hold Simba oh. up, and that music drops oh. down, that drum hits, and the Lion King comes up on screen. And when the screen brightened, my wife looked at me, or well, she wasn't my wife then, but my wife looked at me, and she said, are you crying? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm no, not crying. not at all. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. <laughs> so I, t- I totally get it. She had a similar reaction. She, we went to see uh, Singing in the Rain uh-huh. at the Athena Grand. Uh, and, and yeah, so I, I totally get it. It's amazing the power that film yes. can have on, on yes. us. And that's, that's definitely one of those. And, and, uh, and, and the Wizard of Oz, the film is just this magical piece of, of history that, that I don't think anybody can really deny whether you love it or you hate it. Right. It's just, it's something like for me, I was thinking, when did I even see the Wizard of Oz for the first time? Because I don't really remember watching it as a kid, but I knew the whole story. Yeah. So I saw it somewhere. Yeah. It was playing somewhere. I, I sat and watched it at some point in time, maybe around a holiday or something. But it wasn't until I was in the community theater production of it and I got to do The Cowardly yeah. Lion that I, I really kind of fell in love with it. And just, I just, I sit back and I marvel because I, I would tell some, I tell younger kids today, I say, you might take it for granted when you watch The Wizard of Oz that nothing that you're seeing was made on a computer. Right. You know, everything that you're seeing was was real in some way. Yes. It was either a backdrop or a set piece. And the, and the makeup, like I, I look at the, the Scarecrow's face, for example, yeah. in that movie, and I think, how on earth did they do that in 1939? Right. Uh, it just it, it just doesn't even compute. No, know? it doesn't. Uh, and and I it, it really does blow me away. And what also blew me away was as I started to sort of research the history of how did Hollywood get to the Wizard of Oz. I I, I of course I knew the book. I'd read the book. The book was published in 1900, and it was an instantaneous success, a huge, huge, huge success. And something that I didn't know was that in 1902 they produced a Broadway musical. I'd never ever heard that of and, the Wizard of Oz. Of the Wizard of Oz, and and L. Frank Baum, who who wrote the Wizard right. of Oz, um, he helped write the stage, like the 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 dialogue oh, or no, whatever. That's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, never. I'd never ever ever heard yeah. that, and I immediately wondered, was that where they got some of the music for the film? And the answer is no. Nope. They they, they were aware of it. They knew that it existed. They knew that it ran and it was popular. But because of the success of of the Wizard of Oz. 
and the subsequent musical, L. Frank Baum went on to write like another fifth, another 14 books in addition to The Wizard of Oz that all take place in the Oz universe. And then other people stepped in and wrote Wizard of Oz stories. His son even, uh, I think, released something That's in the really 80s. Cool. And, and I, I, I was like, wow, I didn't realize it was that big in culture at the time. And, and, and they said when they were discussing the making of the film that, that the musical had been talked about. L. Frank Baum died in, I think, 1919. So in like a 20-year span, he created this, this remarkable universe that, that most people only know one small chunk of right. it. Uh, but, but I thought that was, was, that is was really, really fascinating. That is really interesting. So you said that you spent some time researching the movie. I spent some time researching the book. And we did that completely by accident. <laughs> by accident, yes. Yeah, because I had planned to reread the book because it's yeah. been years. Yeah. And it, it just didn't happen. Yeah. So, so what do you? What did you find out about the movie? Ugh. Going back and researching. Oh my gosh, it? a lot. <laughs> but we talked about movie or uh, music, uh-huh. and um, this is the most interesting thing I found. This is not about the music, but the most interesting thing I found was that this is so cool. This is so cool. NBC showed The Wizard of Oz. Okay. So when a movie back in 1940s um, was released at the movie theater. It only showed once. Oh, wow. I don't think I knew that. Okay, so you only got to see it the one time. Huh. And so everybody would flood, I mean, the ones who could afford to go. yeah. And then once it was done, NBC, there was only like three or four channels nationwide. It wasn't just the poor folks or the people out in the country, you know, everybody only had a few channels. And of course it was in black and white. Um, But NBC picked it up, but only would show it once a year. Okay. So now, you know, it's coming on. So everybody's sitting around waiting on the Wizard of Oz. Nobody's, very few people had got to see it Mm -hmm. on the theater. So now they're sitting around on their black and white TV and watching the Wizard of Oz. So now, they get to see it the first time, but NBC's like, we're not going to show it again for another three years. Wow, wow. So the first time it was showed on TV, it was only showed once. Then there was a three-year gap, and then it was picked back up again, and there was such a huge, um, what would I say? Reception. Response, yeah, yes. Yeah, and by that time, a lot of people had picked up a colored TV yeah. waiting to watch this again because mm-hmm. now they know, oh, my gosh, we've heard it turns to color. Yeah. So um, I saw this interview for a little boy. He was like, I was five when it was showed, and when it was showed again, I was eight. And we didn't know it, but our parents had bought a colored TV. Uh-huh. So we sat down to watch it. It was like at Christmas time. And when she opens the door, it was a surprise to the whole family. Yeah. How cool would that be? Oh, my gosh. That, you know, that's the first time they saw color TV. I literally have chills right now. Oh, like, yeah. that would be so amazing. And so then NBC picked it up every year after that, but still only once a year. And kids don't realize that they didn't have any way to record something. Um, they couldn't just pick up a phone and watch what they wanted to watch. So they always had to wait for this. 
How interesting is that? That is, I've never heard that. I mean, because it's an event then, you know? Yes. And and, and I think, again, it, today we're, we're lucky to live in the era that we live. I mean, it's really almost like the Jetsons. We just don't have flying yeah, cars yet, you know? That's right. But uh, to, just to think that it must have seemed like a magic trick. Oh, yeah. I, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to see it in the theater for the first time. Oh, I, no. Or to see it on a color television for the first time. I mean, it must have truly seemed like magic in some way shape shape yeah. or form uh but yeah that's that's just remarkable i never heard that so here was what i found out about the songs and as many times as i've watched this you've probably picked up on it because you are a lyrical man <laughs> <laughs> but all three of the characters so you got the the scarecrow the tin man and the lion mm. their songs were all the same music oh have you did you pick up on that? I guess I didn't. No, I never really paid attention, huh? Yeah. They're all the same song, or um, what would that be called? The, the same tune, The same less, tune. Yeah. It was all the same, but then the lyrics were just changed huh. for that character. Wow. I have to go. I, 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 I never paid attention to that, yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, that was kind of mind-blowing for me. Um, and actually, that tune was wrote for something two years earlier. Huh. So... It, and they just remembered that kind of that that jingle, not a jingle, but right, right, yeah. You know, they had remembered that the uh, the guys that did the the music, yeah. and they liked it, but it wasn't used for what they were doing at that time. So they brought it back, and it was it was used for the Wizard of Oz. Um, and then over the rainbow, I'm sure you've heard this oh. that it was well that it was actually cut. Oh no, I didn't. No, know that. okay, oh, wow. yes, yeah, that was cut. Um, MGM didn't feel like it was appropriate for, um, their girls. Um, I don't know how to explain it. They didn't feel it was appropriate for her to be singing in a barnyard. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, uh, she should have been held to a higher standard type. Right, right. Um, so it was actually cut from the original film. Wow. Um, I, I did know that. And they fought very hard at the last second it got thrown in. Wow. Um, but I didn't know this, that there's more to the song Over the Rainbow, and it was actually put in but taken. It was cut when she was locked up in the witch's castle. And she's like, I'm frightened, Auntie M. I'm frightened. She sings there. Yeah, I, th I think I did know that. That yeah. I didn't know. Huh. Yeah. So that's that was uh, pretty interesting to me. I was like, oh my gosh, now I've got to know the whole song. I feel like I've been left out. <laughs> like a, we've cheated it somehow. Yes, yeah. yes. It, it is funny how th things like that happen, though. Like you hear that so often, how something that is a huge part of a film or like even on, in, on like albums, you know, mm -hmm. well, I know people don't really care about albums right. anymore, but, but like certain songs that... That, that you think, uh, you think, wow, nobody, uh, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody comes to mind yeah. how, you know, when people heard Bohemian Rhapsody for the first time, you know, record executives, we don't know what to do with this right. long, weird operatic. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, and the, the people who you like, you should get it. You should, of all people should get it. You know, the people really, truly kind of become the judge and say, we, we yeah, we, we kind of, we know, we get it. Right. We, know what's, we know what's best. And. Man, that's 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 just shocking to think the most iconic part Absolutely. of that film musically. Absolutely, and and they've went back to say, you know, we don't know what what this film would have been without the song "Over the Rainbow." Yeah, 
Um, but, but that is the same concept that you were talking about with putting so much work into something and then it getting cut. Well, the jitterbug. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So it was in the film. It took five weeks to film that. Can you imagine the money oh. they put at, at that time? Yeah. The money at that time. Um, and it got cut. It wasn't even in. <laughs> it wasn't even in. The, and it's very rare to even find some of that film. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we when we did it in the community theater, the jitterbug was included in the in the musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it was it was neat. I remember we'd go back and research, and there's like these just little snippets yes. of it that they have. Yep. Of them doing that that sequence to jitterbug. And yeah. That's. Huh. So really interesting. And you had mentioned, you know, how um, these sets, I mean, it, it's, it is unreal. I, um, I had found out that, well, everything, 100% of this movie was filmed indoors. Oh, yeah. Nothing yeah. was outdoors at all. And some of the sets were 25 feet high. <laughs> and 400 feet long. Oh, my gosh. All painted watercolor it that is mind blowing yeah. 400 feet long yeah I, I, it's hard for me to even imagine 400 feet like that's that's crazy. I know. <laughs> that's crazy it took 3 weeks to paint just the cornfield that's yeah. no shocker yeah it just blows my mind yeah. like people would not take the time to do this stuff no. anymore i mean the artistry the craftsmanship oh, yeah. I mean, it's just everything about even the way that they would have had to record sound and all those things. Again, the 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 the, the technical achievement of that film oh, yeah. cannot possibly be overstated. It's, it's, it's unreal. It is. It is. Like I remember when, like when Glenda appears. Yes. I, I'm like, how'd they do that? <laughs> <laughs> I remember being a kid and like. Is she a real witch? <laughs> Surely that's how they had to do it. Surely. This is like some Star Wars stuff in 1939. Right. Oh, my gosh. So what do you have? Well, basically what I did was I, I, I looked at the, the book, and, 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 and when I was in the, the community theater musical, I read the book because the girl who was playing Dorothy, her name uh, was Jennifer Walker, and her dad... Uh, is Gary Walker, and he taught at Meg's High School for a long time. What I didn't know was that uh, Jennifer had been obsessed with The Wizard of Oz from the time she was a little girl, and her mom was also a teacher, uh, Karen, and she would do a, a section with her classes on The Wizard of Oz, but but the, the book. The book. And so they knew the book, and it was the first time where I started hearing about the differences between the book and the movie. And and so because I, I was like, well, I want to do my due diligence and know as much of the story as I can, even though the, the stage musical is the base. It's just a movie. Right. Pretty much. Um, I thought, well, I'm just curious to know. And I was and I was just stunned by how wildly different yes. the book and the film are. And, and I, like I was, I was talking to people about me and you doing this and I said, the core story is there. There is a girl, there is a girl named Dorothy. She does have an Auntie M. She does have an Uncle Henry. She does go to the land of Oz, uh, in, in one form or another. Uh, she, uh, does land in, in Munchkinland. She kills the Wicked Witch of the East. She meets the characters in the right order. Um, they do go to the Emerald City. They do go and and kill the Wicked Witch of the West, and, and they do come back to the Emerald City, and Dorothy does make it home. The core story is all there. Right. But everything in between 
is just so unbelievably different. And and back then I was I was take I immediately understood because I'm like, there's no way. It was hard enough to do what they did right. in 1939. There was no None. hope of them doing what they did with the with the book. And and so uh, I I started to ask around to people because the very first thing that I was told about differences between the film and the book was that the ruby slippers don't exist. They they're silver, silver. slippers. Yeah. And, and uh, and I and I was like, R- really? Like, yeah. huh? Because you think a detail like that, because there was right. so much of a fuss around it. I and, and I, I just thought, wow, why, why would they? And then it kind of makes sense. You're like, oh, why would they change the ruby slippers? Did you know? Did you find anything? Well, out about- I I did a little bit, but I'm 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 going to assume that they changed it to ruby because of right. the collar. Yeah, that makes the most sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I found out, and I forgot to write his name down, the man who actually made these changes, some some of these um, major changes that are iconic to the film. Um, there are three main changes that this guy did, and um, I think it did the movie justice because oh, yeah. of doing it. No doubt. Um, he was 26 years old, so a young man that, uh, and I don't know if he was a producer. I'm not real sure. Right. But anyway, he changed the silver shoes in the book to ruby slippers. He decided to use the hired hands that work on the farm to be the characters in her her dream. Right. Okay, so he, he came up with that to kind of just put it all together. And he also made her he's the one that came up with there's no place like home like her to come back to reality of this is this is home this is where i'm to be yeah so that 26 year old man really did something major for the film all i mean all smart changes to for to be sure there's this really cool um introduction that I wanted to read because um, I'd never read it before. I, it's just something that I missed. Uh-huh. And uh, it's, it's, it's L. Frank Baum. He's writing in Chicago in April of 1990. And he says this in the introduction to The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, which is what the, the first book is actually called. Um, he says, Folklore, legends, myths, and fairy tales have followed childhood through the ages. For every healthy youngster has a wholesome and instinctive love for stories fantastic, marvelous, and manifestly unreal. The winged fairies of Grimm and Anderson have brought more happiness to childish hearts than all other human creations. Yet, the old-time fairy tale, having served for generations, may now be classed as historical in the children's library. For the time has come for a series of newer wonder tales in which the stereotype genie, dwarf, and fairy are eliminated, together with all the horrible and blood-curdling incidents devised by their authors to point to a fearsome moral to each tale. Modern education includes morality. Therefore, the modern child seeks only entertainment in its wonder tales and gladly dispenses with all disagreeable incident. Having this thought in mind, the story of the wonderful Wizard of Oz was written solely to please children of today. It aspires to being a modernized fairy tale in which the wonderment and joy are retained and the heartaches and the nightmares are left out. That's awesome. Isn't that so cool? That is. <laughs> Which makes his 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 scene with the Tin Man all the more curious. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, oh. 
That is good. But yeah, I mean, that just, I mean, that kind of hit me in the heart when I read it for the first time. I'm like, yeah. Well, I loved knowing that he wrote these books for his children, like kind of like bedtime stories type thing. And I'm like, what a man, what a dad. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't just doing his own thing. He, he wanted to leave his legend for his kids and surely he didn't know how, how great this would be. Oh yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that like, um, I can't remember who it was, but uh, when it was either when C.S. Lewis or um, Tolkien, one of them read the Lord of the Rings or one of them read the Chronicles of Narnia. I can't remember which way it went, but after reading it, one of them said it was like lightning out of a clear sky. You know, it was just, it was so thunderous and, and, and so monumental, but there's no way that they could have known in their time what right. those would become. And, and, and the same the same thing here. And in some ways, I mean, kind of like the literary genius of the modern fairy tales, almost a little bit lost, I think, maybe, and, and yeah. L. Frank Baum's contribution to it might be a little bit understated. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, 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 let's, so let's talk about some of the differences that exist between the film and the movie. You know, or the, not the film and the movie, the film and the book. Yeah. You know what I did notice? Did you ever watch um, the movie Oz the Great and Powerful? Uh, the one with uh, James Franco yes. in it? I never yes. have okay. watched it. Okay, you need to because there's things that they pull out of the book. Oh, yeah, cool. Um, so I think you'll enjoy it yeah. for that purpose. I mean, it, it didn't have the best ratings. Right. I liked it, but I had read the book. Yeah. So while I'm watching it, I'm like, oh. You know, yeah. and everybody else was like, oh, it was okay. I'm like, you didn't read the book. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of like our sales pitch. For starters, when people hear the word book, they immediately think of something that's very long yes. and takes a long time to get right. through. And The Wizard of Oz is not, not. that. It's, it's only like, eight, in this in this collection, it's only 80 pages. Well, and they and this is what I tell people because they're like, oh, there's a book? I'm like, yeah, there's a book. Well, I don't really read. Well, listen, it's like on a third grade reading level. Literally, It's yeah. for children. So when you're reading it and you feel like, well, this isn't real good, you've got to get that mindset of a child. Right. And and then and read it like that. And you'll get through it. It's a quick, easy read. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I sat down Monday night. It's Wednesday today. I sat down Monday night, maybe about 4 o'clock with a pencil, and just made notes. And it, it took me maybe till about seven or eight, you know, it took me maybe three, four hours, but I was also stopping and right, writing. And, right. and then occasionally I'd look something up online. Had I just been reading it, it might've taken me right. a, a few hours to read. It's such a short story. And and it, it doesn't waste time with a lot of other things. The story just goes. So like, for example, in the movie, the whole opening sequence that everyone is familiar with is you've got Dorothy, this young girl, and and you meet the farmhands who will become her companions in Oz. You you Annie and Uncle Henry, Toto, and then you have this whole thing of you know sort of teenage angst and beyond the rainbow. Oh, what a life would be out there! <laughs> and uh, and then you have this evil woman come along and want to take Toto away. And inexplicably, Annie M and, <laughs> and Uncle Henry are like, "Yeah, we agree. We should give the dog away." <laughs> Toto escapes because he's a boss of a dog, apparently. He is. And then Dorothy's like, "We gotta run away. We're gonna leave Toto. I'll never let you be taken again." And then she runs into this con man who who very cleverly convinces her to go back home. And then she goes back home and she gets caught in the tornado. And none of that's in the book. None it's, of it. It's all just it's all devised to create character development right. that's just not present in the book. And so 
one of the things that I, I, I think that you, you could, I think you could include almost everything from the book in a film because like Absolutely. The, the, the book just opens with Dorothy. Basically you meet Dorothy, Annie M and uncle Henry, and then there's a tornado <laughs> and, and she, and as opposed to Dorothy being knocked out and having a dream, she goes to Oz for real in the book. Or, you know, some people, I, I have had that argument with people before who are like, no, she really went to Oz. And other people are like, it's clearly a dream. It's she a got dream. She got knocked out. Um, but she's she's in Oz talking to the Munchkins about like page three of the story. Yeah, it's <laughs> there isn't a backstory nope. like there is on the movie. Yeah, I mean, and, and some, and some films, nowadays I notice a lot of films, they don't mind ambiguity. Like there was a time when it was like everything needed to be explained yeah. to the audience. And especially with a film like this, I don't see any reason to do something right. like that. We all know who Dorothy is. We all know who Annie is. We have the benefit of the fact that it's this massive cultural phenomenon. Yes. So it just, we, you know, it could start in almost kind of artsy fashion even maybe. And, and boom, she's, she's in Oz straight out of the gate. And then uh, in, the, in, and then the film, when she gets to Munchkin Land, we've got this huge reception which is also not, no. the, which is also not in the book. Um, she does kill the wicked witch of the east, and she does meet a good witch, but that good witch is not Glenda. Um, and I, I, I remember I've talked to a few people about this. I've got this wonderful movie controversy that I've been brewing about Glenda. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that I think that the whole reason that she didn't tell Dor- in the film, the whole reason why she didn't tell Dorothy that she could just click her heels and go home was because she wanted to destabilize the government led by Oz. That's what I think. I think she knew that this was her opportunity to expose the wizard as a con man. She's like, I'm a real witch with real powers. And you got this guy comes into Oz on a balloon and everybody's all like, oh, you're a wizard. <laughs> that's, a, that's maybe a whole other story to, to, to be had. But but she meets, I mean, she meets this, this good witch. She meets a few munchkins. But... Something that I really like is once she gets on to the the road, the Yellowbrook Road, she comes upon a celebration of Munchkins, and they're celebrating the death of the Wicked Witch of the East. And it's it's almost like walking up to like a really great outdoor party. Have you ever been to like a really yes. good like outdoor party? Yes. And you just kind of walk up to it, and 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 she's there, and and she, there's I imagine there's music playing, there's tiny people dancing. They eat, they have a good time. I mean, how cool would something like that be? That would on, be awesome. On film. And she crashes out at like the house of a rich munchkin that night. I'm like, <laughs> I want to see that in a movie. <laughs> I want to see them welcoming her in and, and, you know, singing their little munchkin folk songs, you know, get their little <laughs> munchkin fiddles out and, and just do, doing their version of the Macarena or whatever it is that they do in munchkin land. And I think, I think, I think little things like that are, are they're so homey and heartwarming and and I, I I would love to see that captured on film. It would be awesome. I've I've often wondered like if they did do a film on the actual book, like would it be received well? Because people have in their mind what the Wizard of Oz is already. Right. You know what I mean? That's the tough part. Yeah. 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 Would people would people be willing to suspend their biases long enough and say, wait, this isn't the Wizard of Oz. Right. And they would really have to promote like this is based off the book or something based off of L. Frank Baum's 1900 book original, you know, I don't know. Hey, did you know, you want to know a fun fact about me? I do. I met a real life munchkin. 
Munch, munchkin. Munchkin. <laughs> he was at Myrtle Beach. Oh, really? Yeah, and he had a little table set up, you know, huh. and he was doing autographs and that kind of stuff. So wow. it was pretty cool. Huh. It was cool. I'll be doggone. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that it, we, there, there are just certain things that get so deeply culturally ingrained. And I've, and I've wondered if that's why yeah. that the Oz Possibly. movie that we were just talking about didn't really go over that well. And there was a, there was a sequel when I was a kid in the 80s. Uh, I think it was called like Return to Oz or something like that. It was kind of a bizarre movie. It was a little more... Um, a little darker and mm. and it, it but I don't recall it being very successful. Yeah. I just remember it existing I and was, I watched it and I was like, hmm, I, I don't yeah. know. Because I, I think that people associate so much with um the Wizard of Oz, it's just it's so hard to connect disconnect it from it's a musical. And that's and that's really yeah. what it is. You know, there's 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 great musical numbers and there's just this story that we know and any kind of interruption to that story we yeah. just can't have that no. on on screen. I, I so I don't know. It, it it seems like it would be such a good idea, but at the same time, I I would be concerned for whoever made it. Yeah, because it it, it would almost be like um, blasphemy, <laughs> blasphemy in, in some way. Um, a couple of things that that do happen that um, that I I think would would be really neat to see in the movie, and I scratched a couple of them down here. Some of the characters have really weird backstories, by the way. Like the Tin Man? The Tin Man has got this really weird story about how his axe is cursed and chops his limbs off, and that's how he becomes a... Yeah. But it's a comical story, too. I love it when he's telling the story. He's like, and then one day my axe cut my head off, and I thought I was really done for then. (laughs) (laughs) Just so casually, man, I lost my head. I lost my head. Um, And there's also all these, like, great quotes that I found throughout the the book, like the Scarecrow. At one point, he says to, to Dorothy, he says... It's such an uncomfortable feeling to know that one is a fool. Oh, I was like, oh wow, man, that's like that. That hits you deep. That hits hits on me. It hit me right in the feels. I wasn't wasn't expecting that. But there's this one scene. They're almost to the uh, they're almost to the the Emerald City, and they. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but they encounter. They, the, Dorothy's got all the companions together now, so she's got the team together, and they come upon this part of the forest where they run into something called Kalidas and the Kalida is described as having the body of a bear with the head of a tiger and and one chases them and and I'm like that's pure movie it gold is, right there absolutely. I mean, like, might be slightly terrifying but that's okay that movie that Disney well, movie, uh, Pixar movie Brave where that bear comes out <laughs> I mean my daughter left the room she's like well, oh. Well, speaking of being being scary, the actual movie was scary. People are scared to death of the winged monkeys, of the uh, winky soldiers, of the witch. And I know adults that still will not watch it because of that. I was never, ever yeah. scared of it. No. I, I was just always enthralled. But the movie, if you were scared of the movie and still are, you're lucky because that's toned down. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> they said that it was much more scarier. Um, the witch was much more intense. They had to tone it down because um, MGM just said, "Uh-uh, it's way too scary." Yeah. And so that was actually a toned down version. Yeah. Is what we see. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I mean, that witch is terrifying when she comes <laughs> in in Munchkin Land. And what's interesting in the book, they don't ever meet her. She's not she's not included in the story until after they've met the wizard for the first time. Yes. Which towards I, the end. Yeah, yeah. Which again, I thought was just an ingenious move on the movie part. Yeah. It's Be- not like that she followed them no, like no. like in the movie. And what's interesting too is Dorothy even bears a mark on her head given to her by the oh, witch of the north. I forgot about that. And 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 no one in Oz can touch her. So she it's like she knows she knows that she's technically protected. But it's one of those things. She's a kid too. Yeah. So like like that Kali da, it would have got close to her, probably seen that mark, and she'd have been okay. Right. Um. But but she's protected the whole time. But even still, it doesn't change. It's like you know you're safe, but at the same time, I know I'm not safe. Right. <laughs> I completely forgot about that yeah, mark. Yeah. Um. And and there's two other things that happen on the trip to Oz. Like they they this Kali da thing happens, and then they have to cross a river. And, and while they're crossing the river, the scarecrow gets knocked off of their raft and he's stuck in the middle of a river and they float oh. down river. The lion has to jump out and try to pull him to shore. And like against all odds, he gets him in. It's like, which, that, that, which takes courage. Yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> right, exactly. That would be such a super intense moment. And then they go up and they, they manage to get the, the, the scarecrow out. There's a stork that like gets the scarecrow out. But then the poppy field is kind of crazy because they're going through the poppy field and because the tin man and the... And the scarecrow aren't flesh. flesh. They're yes, not affected by it. That's right. Um, and and they, they manage to get Dorothy out, but they have to make this choice to leave the lion right. behind. I forgot about that, too. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And then <laughs> and then they there's this whole field mice thing. There's a queen of oh, the field the mice. mice coming Yeah, them. they come yes. and they help get the lion. I'm like, all of this stuff would be perfect yes. in a modern-day modern day film. And, 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 and by the time they get to, to Oz, there's political intrigue you know there's these glasses that everybody's forced to wear in the emerald city do you remember that yes and why is collars coming up in my memory is something about collars so so when they when they first go in everybody in oz is forced to wear these like green tinted glasses and 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 the crazy thing is is they lock onto your head okay so you can't for whatever reason you can't just slide them up and off your head okay um, and and it's part of a part of a trick, I guess. He 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 does. He has everyone in in the inside the Emerald City wear these to kind of sort of show like his power. Or and whatever. see, that would be good too. Yeah, that would be good in the movie. Yeah, I mean, there's all this like intrigue stuff. The thing that got me most, I about fell over when I was rereading the book. Dorothy changes outfits. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh my gosh, I was like, what? Because. <laughs> You know, we're also used to this iconic Dorothy outfit. <laughs> I've got to see this other outfit. <laughs> and and that when they when they first see the wizard, they're all they're all given individual rooms in the palace, and the wizard only agrees to see them on the condition that well, he only agrees to see them because Dorothy bears the mark of the good witch on the north on her forehead. He finds that peculiar, and she's got these silver slippers. Um, but she changes into a dress that appears green to her, and she keeps it on. After she leaves, so when she leaves the Emerald City to go into the Winky mm-hmm. Country, um, she's she's not in her iconic outfit anymore. Huh? I, th- I thought that that, that I was, completely forgot about that. Yeah, can you imagine? I, that's one of those things. No. That, that if I if I was at the writing table for the Wizard of Oz, I'd be like, they will set us on fire in the streets <laughs> if we change her outfit. <laughs> you want to hear something else? Yeah. So we're talking about changing Dorothy up. She originally was supposed to have a blonde wig. Mm. Yes. Uh, and so I even saw pictures of um, 
you know, Dorothy yeah. with the with the blonde wig, and they they stripped it. They said no, yeah, and you know they made her more childlike, yeah, with her little curls and her pigtails, and yeah, <laughs> but she was supposed to be blonde. Wow, they had a blonde wig for her. What? Yep. It's so hard to imagine a blonde Dorothy. It, I it, know. Again, sacrilege. How dare you? <laughs> You'll have to look it up because she just looks completely different wow. like that. So, Man. you know, and, and she was just a 15-year-old girl at the time when yeah. when she did all this. So, yeah. well, Something else you might not may or may not remember this, but I can't remember in the movie when they first see the wizard. Uh-huh. Do they see him one at a time? No, they all go together. They all go together. Mm-hmm. Okay. In, in, in the book, they do this really interesting thing, and I, I don't know if I wrote it down or not, but Oz appears to each one of them um, differently. He doesn't take the same form each time oh. that he sees them. So one of them, well, let's see. I might have written it down here somewhere. Um, but to the Scarecrow... I think to Dorothy, I might have this backwards. To Dorothy, I think he appears as the giant head, the bald head. That okay, we see. that we see. Um, to the scarecrow, he appears as a lovely lady. To the Tin Man, yeah. To the Tin Man, he appears as a horrifying beast, and to the lion, he appears as a ball of fire. Okay, I would have thought the lovely lady would have been with the Tin Man for the heart. Yeah. The ball of fire would have been for the scarecrow. I know. <laughs> for, and what was the other? Uh, some, A beast. Some for, horrifying, yeah, like, I think it had like for multiple. For the courage. Yeah. I mean, to I think, me, they sounded I, a little backwards. I, I know. I, I think it would have had like multiple limbs and stuff. And uh, But yeah, he refuses, refu- oh. like uh, Dorothy refuses, and then he uses every subsequent person to lean on Dorothy more and more. It's like, it's a real, it's, I mean, even though, again, it's a children's story, yeah. it's like, there's almost this po- weird political edge to it where he's just like, all these people need something and Dorothy needs it the worst. And if I can get them to lean on her and that's kind of what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then after they said, I was only, there's just a few more things really that, that happen. Like when they leave the Emerald city, the it's then that the witch starts attacking them mm-hmm. and the way she attacks them Again, I think it would be horrifying. The first thing she does is she sends a pack of wolves after them, 40 wolves <laughs> after them. And she means business. I mean, I've watched Animal Planet, and I've watched three <laughs> wolves, like, chase a, a caribou or whatever for miles on end. And that's why I can't imagine. I've seen. I've even seen that Liam Neeson movie where he has to fight a wolf at the end. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine for the life of me what 40 wolves bearing down you would look like. And the way that they get out of that. The Tin Man decapitates every single one of them. Wow, he is awesome. <laughs> I know. Now, if that's not crazy enough, then she sends like a, a bunch of birds, maybe crows. I can't remember exactly what it was. But then the Scarecrow is like, this is my fight. And he breaks the neck of all the birds. <laughs> and, and there's all the 40 wolves laying in a heap. Here's all the birds laying in a heap. And so then the witch is like, well, what am I left with? Bees. Okay, we'll send bees. She sends bees. And the bees sting the, the tin man, and they all die. And so you got a heap of dead wolves. you got a heap of dead <laughs> birds. you got a heap of dead bees. And she's like, well, what next? And so she sends her the Winkies um, after him. And all the lion has to do is roar, and the Winkies run away. <laughs> and that's and that's it. The most interesting thing, though, was the winged monkeys. Now, okay, hold on to your hats, folks. 
the winged monkeys are not around the Wicked Witch all the time like they are in the movie. They are summoned by a magical piece of, of equipment called like the golden cap or something like that. Yes. Um, and who had it or she was to get it or where what was that towards the end? Something about that? Yeah, the, actually, it changes. Dorothy later uses it, and then Glinda uses okay, it later that's as it. well. Um, it's it's one of these like prized possessions in in Oz, you know. Yeah. And and so the witch uses it. Oh, I remember. And, and, and what's interesting is she can only use it three times. And it had already been used twice. Once, twice? I, think, I think she'd used it twice. One, I forget uh, what the first thing was. I think it was to enslave the Winkies, maybe. And and right. then and then one of the times she fought against Oz. Okay. Like Oz was invaded. Like he was moving into Winky Country, and to get him out, she used the winged monkeys to push him back out. And and then like this this final request is to get Dorothy. And when she's done, she's she's basically powerless. I mean, they the the Tin Man gets thrown down in a ravine. The Scarecrow gets torn apart. The Lion gets brought back, and he's chained up to basically use as like a work animal. And uh, and Dorothy is there in the tower, and the witch sees the mark of, on her forehead, and the witch knows I can't touch her. Mm-hmm. She's got the silver slippers on, but she doesn't know that they're powerful. But I can't do anything to her. Yeah. But it. But she looks in the girl's eyes, and she sees that she's just a simple child, and she can terrorize her anyway. But it's basically just the witch and and uh, Dorothy in yeah. <laughs> in the in the castle just hanging out. Well, in the movie. Um, once they liquidated the witch, yeah. very quickly the um, all of the witches' uh, servants, yeah. very quickly bowed down to Dorothy, yep. and that must be a reference to the yeah. book, yeah, um, because they were under a spell, yeah, yeah, to actually be with her, yeah, yeah. So and the in the book, the Winkies actually asked the Tin Man to stay behind and <gasps> that's rule. right and yeah. rule over. I forgot about that. Yeah, because when what happens is is Dorothy gets the the cap, and I think one of the Winkies explains to her how to use it. And I could be wrong about this, but I thought I read something saying that the Winkie's skin was like like a yellowish color as opposed to a black color. Hmm. Um, and uh, uh, so one of them explains it to her, and she uses the winged monkeys first to find the scarecrow and the tin man, and they fix the tin man up. And, and at the same time, that's when the winkies are like, oh, would you stay and rule over us? Um, and they fix the scarecrow up, and then they're trying to go back to Oz, and they can't, they can't get back to the Emerald City. Uh, they keep getting lost. And so she, so then Dorothy summons the monkeys again, and that's how they get back to Oz. Do they lift her and take her? Is that yeah, what they, they do? Yeah, they pick them up and fly, right. and and then they explain why they're under this like this curse, basically that they have to serve whoever has the golden cap. Uh, she, she she tries to use it once to go back to Kansas, but she but they can't do that. They can't take her over the desert that surrounds. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, and and you know then of course then from there it's real similar to the movie. You know the they the the wizard goes back in his balloon and all that and but then there's a whole kind of epilogue if you will it's not the end of the story Dorothy still doesn't know how to get home because the wizard goes away in his little balloon and so now she's got to travel south to meet this witch that that they've not seen or heard of in 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 the whole series of the book and that's pretty cool because they end up in a land like where things are made of porcelain and that's in that movie isn't it it is yeah it yeah. is and i and that's the part that i one of the many parts i'd really love 
to see. It's good. That's yeah. probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then they, they eventually get to Glenda somehow and, you know, Glenda makes everything all right. One thing I did wonder though about the Ruby slippers is that, um, Glenda, uh, sits on a Ruby throne. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know that. Hmm. Yeah, she sits on a, on a Ruby throne and then there's even, even in the book, they set it up. You know how everyone loves to leave a cliffhanger these days. When when a story comes to an end, Dorothy, er, earlier in the story, when she met the Scarecrow, she she said to him, you know, there is no place like home. And uh, and and that's kind of, you know, Glenda uses that at the end of the book to, to say, you just click your heels and say where you want to go and they'll take you anywhere in the world. And she goes back to Oz, but the she assumes that the slippers fell off somewhere in the journey. So here's what I'm thinking, Hollywood. Here's oh, how you can set up future books. Here you go. The silver slippers are apparently one of the more valued items in Oz because they have this power to take you wherever you want to go. And uh and 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 they're lost. They're lost. And and can you just imagine like Dorothy's back home with Auntie M and Uncle Henry and then all of a sudden we see a desert and then we see like some wind blowing and all of a sudden we see a, we see some glittering silver shoes emerge from underneath and maybe like a shadow comes and stands over it. Ooh, cut to credits. You know, like, That's awesome. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so sweet? That would be great. <laughs> like, this, it needs to happen. It this, does. It, it, I, I just, I really. I've, I've, I've thought of it, thought about it for years myself. Yes. I, I, I believe it, you know, it's got, it's got all the elements. I mean, even, even though in the, in the, when I'm reading the book, sometimes I feel like, you know, man, I don't know if this whole sequence after the Emerald City really works. Cause it just seems like the story maybe kind of drags on maybe, yeah. but I wouldn't even be mad, but like, it's, it, there's really not that many things that occur in the story. So I'm thinking, surely we could. We could make it happen, man. Who so. can we call? Who's some of our connections in Hollywood? I know, man. Well, there's <laughs> got to be somebody. I've got to know somebody who knows somebody. I mean, I'm I'm friends with at least one semi-famous person. Well, there you go. And so I could call him up and be like, in all of your travels, have you ever met somebody? You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> uh, actually, one of my one of my friends was in an iPhone commercial. Oh, that's cool. No joke. Yeah. Um, well, you might know Dwight Eisenhower. Does I do. Name? Yeah. So yeah, Dwight, good old Dwight. Yeah, he was in an iPhone commercial. Did you know that? I didn't never yeah. see him. No. He's in an iPhone commercial. That's but cool. For all you listeners out there, Dwight Eisenhower is literally one of the premier Elvis impersonators in the in world. world. In the world. I mean, he's a sought after. He's legit. Yep. Um, and he pulled me up on stage one time. There you go. He's 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 a great guy. I love Dwight. Um, we were in a band together briefly in high school, and it was it was so much fun. That's cool. Um, and, and next time I'm on the Cheaper Than Therapy podcast, uh, I'll have to tell you guys a story about the night that me and Dwight almost got shot. You um, have oh, a story? Yeah, that's I know. odd. I know, right? <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, he he's in an iPhone commercial. And he sings. He's the first person to sing. He's the first person to sing and the last person to sing huh. in this iPhone commercial. Yeah, it's it's something else. So so yeah, but we need to make this happen. We do. It must come to pass. I think it could be every bit as magical. Maybe not as much of a cultural phenomenon as the original film. Yeah. But I think it it's a story that deserves it. With the right um, branding, yeah. this could happen. Oh yeah. I actually went to the Smithsonian and saw the Ruby slippers. 
Wow. I got my picture. Did you know they were missing for a number of years? Yes. There's like five pair and one got stolen. Yeah. One pair. But they recovered them just a few years ago. Yeah. I remember it was a big to-do. Like yes. there was news articles. Yeah. Everywhere. I was like, yes. <laughs> ruby slippers I don't know, found. don't know anything else that's going on in the world, but I do know the ruby slippers were <laughs> yeah, failed. It's like, who to vote for in the next election? <laughs> mm, oh, wait. Did you hear they found the ruby slippers? <laughs> um, oh, I had an interesting fact. Oh, yeah. Um, the scarecrow was actually supposed to be the Tin Man. He, that's who, who he was casted for. And um, the man who was supposed to be the Tin Man, he could dance like no other. And so he auditioned for the Tin Man. Actually, I don't even know if they did auditions the way they do now. I mean, they were like, you're the Tin Man. And he's like, but I think I'm better Scarecrow. And so he did a, a dance for him, and they're like, yeah, you're the Scarecrow. So wow. that's kind of cool that, you know, he got to pick who he was because they were telling them who they were supposed huh. to be. And, you know, Dorothy was the first pick was not Judy Garland. It was Shirley Temple. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd heard so, that. So, yeah. um, but this was Ju- Judy Garland's big break. She wasn't yeah. near as famous. Right, yeah. So. Um, have you ever heard that thing? This is going to sound unrelated when I start, but there's an old James Bond movie called Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite James Bond movies. And one of the characters in it very early on uh, is, is she dies and she's painted gold. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they say that she died of skin suffocation which I thought that surely that's a made-up James Bond thing. Um, but I thought I had heard somewhere that the Tin Man, the guy that played the Tin Man, nearly died. He did. As a result of his makeup, complications with his makeup. Which but, was later Jed Clampett. Oh, yeah? That's who that was that was supposed to be the Tin Man. Oh, supposed to be the Tin Man. Yeah, oh, was, wow. was later went on to be casted on oh, uh, that's right. and he, the he Beverly it. Hillbillies. He's right, Jed right. Clampett. Yes. So, um, let's see. The t- Oh, the Tin Man, it was aluminum dust is what it was. So, it actually, oh. he inhaled way right. too much of it, and it, like, started to burn him oh internally. And, and actually, the producers thought he was lying. And so, they called the hospital and demanded to get him back on set. And the nurses had to step in and said, uh, no, he's staying here as long as he needs to. And they yeah. realized... <laughs> Okay, this is serious. So they recast it. They're like, we just came out of the Great Depression. You're not going <laughs> to yes, not be in this movie. <laughs> right. The lion's costume was a real lion. Uh, yeah. I'd, a I'd, real lion I'd, skin. Yeah, yeah. And it weighed 60 pounds. Ugh. Like 60 to 90 pounds. Um, it's like some CrossFit stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> and they almost animated the lion. Everything else was going to be real. And they almost animated it and they fought to have a real you know well have you seen like in old drawings and stuff that i've seen the lion is huge huge huge. i mean he's like way bigger than Than the rest of the characters yes yes which makes his cowardliness all the more yes right (laughs) (laughs) and then the scarecrow his mask would melt to his face um from all the hot lights constantly on so he was always irritated um, and then the Wicked Witch, of course, she caught on fire. I'm sure you knew that. Yeah, yeah, it was badly injured. Yes, yeah. very. And she stopped doing her own stunts. She's like, uh, you need to get me a stunt woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Isn't, and actually, I think the scene where she gets hurt is in the film. 
It is. It is in the film. It, yeah. It's what made the cut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's when she first comes to Munchkinland, and the there was like an elevator floor, and when that when the smoke came up and the floor would drop out, it was supposed to go down slowly. What it suddenly dropped, and so that's what happened. And her broom and her hat caught fire, and then she got like second degree burns on her face and third on her hand. Yeah. And she uh, she credits her makeup artist. She's like th- they were wonderful. But uh, Maya, my favorite quote of all times. Like I don't have any tattoos, but if I ever got a tattoo. It would be this, and I say it all the time. It's, it's something that I strive for in life, and it's um, a heart isn't judged by how much it loves, but how much it is loved by others. Yes, it's great to you know to show the love, but think of the love that's coming back in. I think that's a good place to leave it, Jill. I think so too. Alrighty, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in. We will catch you on the next go round.